Welcome to Scavengers Horde, where a Star Wars podcast offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney+, or a weird Legends novelization you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 186, and it's 16th of October, 2022. Um, yeah, so... This is going to be a relatively short episode, so there's been two new episodes of Andor since we last recorded, um, but essentially the last three, so incorporating episode four, which we did touch on briefly last time, they will form a single arc. So yeah, we're going to try and talk in broad strokes about the events of that whole arc, but I think it's probably safe to say that we're not going to linger too much on anything that happened in episode four because we have discussed that in our previous episode. Does that sound fair, Kirsty? Yeah, it's interesting to think about how it feels a bit different now we've got the rest of that arc and what it was all leading to. Exactly, yeah. And we'll get into more detail on this, but there's like certain revelations in episode five, The Axe Forgets, that I would have spoken about with a completely different lens if we'd podcasted after that episode without the new information that's provided in episode six. So oh, really? Yeah, I'll, I'll go into it later. Um, okay. But yeah, it's something very specific and I would have felt like a bit of an idiot, I think. Oh, I think I might know what you're talking about. I, and think, I think you think might, yeah. I've seen other people make the same mistake, <laughs> even after episode six, to be honest. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a very interesting revelation in terms of how it's handled and everything, so... Yeah, there's a lot of meaty stuff to discuss. So yeah, I'm excited. So yeah, I will preface it by mm-hmm. saying I've only had a chance to watch each episode once. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed them so much. I do plan to watch again. Yeah, and um, there was, I mean, you guys know after episode six, you like, you take a deep breath, don't you? You're like, oh my god, so much just happened. Yeah. I honestly feel like it would be so rewarding, like if it's possible to carve out the time to just sit down and watch four, five, and six together as like a movie. You yeah. know, so we obviously had episodes one, two, and three all in one go, so we could watch them in that sort of mindset. And mm. I feel like episodes four, five, and six they'd work even better as a whole. You know, so I'm kind yeah. of jealous of people who might be coming to the show a bit later and can experience them like that for the first time. So I feel like that's probably the optimal way to watch them you know as if they're like this complete story yeah honestly though even watching just episode six by itself Mm. i was like wow this is probably the closest i felt since the movies to watching a star wars movie again for the first time yeah you know it just has that epic cinematic feel to it it was really great exactly it just had like a really lovely sense of like scale and wonder as well because, yeah, there's this, like, device in episode six called the eye that they're building up to throughout these episodes. But then when you just see it realised on screen, it's just so spectacular and beautiful. And it just really made it for me, you know, just that visual splendour of it and how well it was used. Um, and, yeah, I feel like a lot of Star Wars TV has just been bland, dusty deserts. And having just such a completely different type of visual, it was just really wondrous. I just loved it. It was great. Yeah, it was really nice to have a bit of like that magic and spectacle. And it shows that you don't necessarily need the whole force user lightsaber aspect. Exactly. It can just be about, wow, you can do anything with these different worlds and um, the different belief systems of the people who inhabit these worlds and and just give it this sense of wonder and awe. And it was just so effective. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like 
a lot of Andor. I've really enjoyed the whole show, but it's been so grounded and so like realistic in a lot of ways that I feel like you could very easily transpose, you know, a lot of the action and events of the series to a real world setting and they'd just and they'd make exactly as much sense, right? Whereas mm. this, if I like this is the show making the most of the fact that it's a genre show you know, and really exploiting the fact that, you know, it can go anywhere because it's a science fiction series, you know, it can and it can have these like wonderful celestial events and make them really like critical to the plot in this way. So yeah, I really liked that. I remember last time I was like, where are the, all the aliens? And I'm still kind of in that a little bit. Like it does, it's oh, really Dr. not Pod a huge Paul, deal. Kirsty, yes, he was cool. Yes. But really in terms of like, you know, the ratio of aliens <laughs> to humans. I know, there's no way to talk about this without sounding silly. And it is the mildest possible criticism. Like it's sure. so not a big deal. But I'm just watching it. And sometimes it does like feel not super Star Wars-y. But like that, I don't know. How much does that matter really? Like, honestly, this is the best Star Wars show by a mile for me. So Yeah, same. I almost feel afraid of saying that whenever we have these discussions because I don't want to jinx it while it's still ongoing. But I feel like everything up until now is so strong that it's kind of like irrespective of whatever they do in the back half. You know, these episodes and the stories we've got so far, they're just really, really great in their own right. So, yeah, I feel confident saying it's the best Star Wars show we've had by a mile as well. Which is a great feeling. I I love loving things. I love loving Star Wars. So, yeah, I'm happy to say that. Yeah. And I think it's just good to kind of like remind myself that all of these Star Wars shows have been created for probably quite different target demos and age groups and stuff. For sure. You know, Boba yeah. Fett obviously feels like for a younger audience and that's fine. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, I think what we're going to try and do in terms of having a more detailed discussion about the most recent episodes is continue what we did before and split the discussion like according to the arcs and according to the settings that there are. Um, So I think it's pretty clear now we've had all three episodes in this particular arc that, you know, the main story here is Cassian and the rebel cell on Altani. And obviously the whole reason they're there is to steal the Imperial payroll um, for, I think, the quarter or something. So it's a lot of money, (laughs) essentially. Um, and episodes four and five, you really just get to know the characters, you get to see the relationships between them. And then episode six is where the heist actually happens and you see the plan be put into action. Um, and yeah, how did you feel about the payoff, Kirsty, after that slow build of those first two episodes here? It was fantastic. And yeah. I was quite relieved about that because in episode four, I felt like that subplot was the part I was probably least invested in. Yeah, same. Once, you know, um, Cassian gets kind of dropped off there by Lufin. It wasn't like it was bad or anything, but I was so intrigued by all the Mon Mothma, Lufin, Coruscant stuff and and um, Cyril as well that, I don't know, it, it just it wasn't resonating with me as much. But obviously I knew that was where the bulk of the next arc was going to be because they had this mission set out. But then once you get to know those characters more and things still seem like very unsure and mysterious and you don't know where each character stands even as they're trying to convince each other of where they stand and I don't know, really interesting group dynamic that evolves there and then as everything hits the fan you know it plays out in a way that I don't feel like there were huge shocks but I don't know it was all executed very well yeah 
Exactly, and I also felt like you really understood which purpose each member of that team served when you actually saw the plan roll out. You know, so it all felt a bit like, you know, those people, they all seemed so much in conflict with each other, you know, and at mm. each other's throats quite a bit. So you're kind yeah. of like, why are you all here together, you know, when there's so much like friction between you? But when you see the plan actually unfold, you're like, wow, they literally needed every single person here for this yeah. to be pulled off, essentially. And that sort of justified why Lufen brought Cassie in there in the first place. Because, yeah, without Cassian, that would not have worked. The whole thing would have failed, essentially. Yeah, it's funny to look back at when he's first dropped off and think, how did you guys think you were going to pull this off without him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like they didn't have a pilot. It's like, what the hell were you going to do we'll without a pilot? We'll figure it out in the moment. It'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. So, really, in retrospect, it feels kind of miraculous that they pulled it off at all. You know, even if it wasn't perhaps completely what they wanted to do, because they left a hell of a lot of money behind, you know, and they were discovered a bit prematurely and stuff. But I think ultimately it was just, it was still a success, right? You know, they still got yeah. a ton of money, and well, yeah, but a lot of people died. A lot of people died. <laughs> Probably not a success. Yeah, from their point <laughs> definitely of view. not or a success was, for them. They, <laughs> in the back of their minds, maybe they all felt that it was a distinct possibility and it was worth it. Yeah, you know, exactly. Um. What was I going to say? Yeah, without being too heavy-handed with it, it does kind of feel like this small group of rebels is representative of the larger, you know, what will become, like, the rebel alliance, like, truly organized, but yet... Oh, is it Skeed who says, like, each person has their own rebellion? Yeah, I think like, so. Like, they're all there for different reasons, and obviously his are not good, as it turns out. Yeah. But... um that still rings true doesn't it like they each have their own beliefs and how a resistance to the empire will actually look as it evolves and succeeds they're not necessarily all on the same page with everything exactly i think it's really harking back to the old adage like the enemy of my enemy is my friend right so right. yeah i think they're all bonded by the common purpose of bringing an end to the empire but they have different opinions and views on tactics and reasons for that, you know, and how they're going to achieve that as the end goal. And I feel like that's going to come out a lot more as the season goes on. I think we've already seen a lot of evidence of the friction that comes about from the disagreements in terms of the approach that they should be taking. And I know that Saw is going to show up later in mm. the show. And I think... Yeah, I can't imagine why he would be there if that's not going to be a big talking point, you know, especially when the show is interested in having those deeper conversations about, like, ethics and stuff and, you know, exploring the grey area and acknowledging that sometimes the rebels do really morally dubious things too, you know. Yeah. So I'm really, really curious to see where they go with that, Fred. Yeah, one of the really... The most intriguing parts early on here was, like, the reveal that Tamarin was a stormtrooper. That I'm am I using the right names? Yes, there? you are. Yeah. I wasn't learning the names in the show itself. <laughs> so he was a stormtrooper, which is really yes. cool and a nice nod to, you know, Finn in the sequel trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um and then, you know, they're making the point that Cinta was not happy with that when she found out because her family was destroyed. Yeah. And um and then there's that tension that's like not direct between her and Vel but obviously we see it play out in the episode because Vel is talking to that Imperial who's like well what's the point of me complying because you're going to kill us all anyway and she says oh because that's what you would do mm. 
but then at the end it's kind of heavily implied that Cinta did kill that that mother and child yeah right exactly yeah that to me was one of the most interesting developments in the show to be honest especially because they've established or at least heavily heavily implied that Val and Cinta are a couple right and if anything's yeah. gonna cause massive conflict like between you as a couple it's going to be the fact that you murdered a woman and child when you were pretty emphatic about the fact that oh yeah we're not the kind of people who do that sort of thing you know so that would be like a huge like gulf between them in terms of the tactics that they think are necessary and appropriate yeah i guess it's similar to the conversations that cassian and um skeen are having like is revenge enough you know like what's going to be everyone's ultimate motivation are we building something or are we tearing something down and everyone's going to have like a different approach and their own journey that they go on with that stuff yeah but watching all those tensions play out is pretty fascinating exactly yeah and in case people did not get it skeen is the character i was referencing at the beginning of the episode when i said i'm really glad we recorded after episode six not after episode five because I'm very trusting. I would have taken him at his word when he said about having a brother who killed himself because of the Empire's actions, etc, etc. But Cassian did too. Yeah, no, that's true. So we're kind of invited to do that, right? We're invited yeah. to trust him. Um, I thought you did say last time we recorded that you thought that he would end up being the traitor. Oh, did I really? I think so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, oh, are you sure? But now looking back at it, I'm like, oh, they were putting him pretty centre stage and being the one to like really be sceptical of Cassian showing up. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I see that now. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things that makes me want to go back and watch all four episodes again, you know, so I can view his actions and what he's saying through the lens of knowing that it's all based on deceit, right? And that he's yeah. not there for the right reasons. So again, I think it would bring out lots of extra layers in the performance that I didn't necessarily recognise the first time around. Yeah. And, you know, even now after watching episode six, and I do have to watch it again to kind of get a firmer grasp on this, but it's like this sense of he might have been there for noble causes to start with and then he's grown cynical of how much they'll be able to really do as an effective rebellion. And maybe he is just like, oh, it's best to just take it and run. And I think that's very plausible, to be honest, because... Yeah, I I feel like it would make you cynical, you know, being stuck with that group of people. (laughs) I don't know if this sounds mean, but like I think in episode four, we're told that they've been together for like six months or something, you know, living in these close quarters. Yeah, and they're just so isolated from everything else. Exactly. And I think if he's just seeing nothing but like discordance and like bitterness between all of them, you know, I think that would you know like make you think oh sod these people you know this isn't worth it this cause is not worth it you know i'm just gonna look out for myself or to have confidence that your mission is really going to be even if it's a success is it really going to move the needle yeah exactly it's sort of like a sense of nihilism kind of where like well what's the point you know the only good i can see coming from this is enriching myself which that's why i just loved um when it skips the loofin at the end and we see his just jubilant reaction oh god like that just wipes away any cynicism that you have it's like yeah this does matter yeah and and those sacrifices were worth it exactly just yeah the sense of relief and yeah i'm so fascinated to see what the fallout of you know the success of this mission on altani is going to be because you know again tying back to that suggestion that cinta killed that mother and child you know the episode i thought did a really good job 
at showing them to be like humanizing them you know like we don't spend a lot of time with them but you know they don't want to be there you know the son is bullied by his own father you know the wife is clearly not it's obviously not a happy relationship yeah it's not a happy relationship you know you're invited to sympathize with them you know and be on their side to some extent so i think if it is revealed that they're dead you know and that cinder killed them i think even as viewers who obviously side with the rebellion because is Star Wars you know we're obviously meant to side with the rebellion I think that would be really troubling you know and really invite difficult questions and I think that's the sort of thing where you know in the in terms of the interior world of of this show I think there would be a lot of propaganda based on that you know like the fact that look at these rebel terrorists slaughtering women and children you know like I think I could see that being like a big thread in the show going forward. They might not do that. You know, there might be a twist where they're actually alive. But yeah, mm. do you reckon they could go down that route with that? I guess they could, but if, you know, that really just exposes the Empire's hypocrisy more because they're obviously doing the same thing, aren't they? Yeah. Worse. For sure. On an organized scale, whereas Sinta's, she's acting in a moment of personal revenge, which is understandable, even if obviously. Do I have to state this? Murder is wrong. Um, <laughs> what are like... you, a murder apologist? <laughs> Problematic, but, uh, you know, no. Yeah, they've been able to do a lot with that character with such a, you know, she doesn't have like a huge presence within the show in terms of like screen time or dialogue, but like she's making a big impression. Yeah. And I think she's like a successful kind of representation of what this larger philosophical conflict will be with the rebellion. And obviously you see that more with characters like Saw and then we already know that he's going to have this long disagreement with Mon Mothma about strategy but as as well we've alluded to this in other discussions there's a, a talk of class and privilege here too and you know what have each what's each member of the rebellion personally lost and how has that shaped their beliefs like it might be easy for Mon Mothma to say that yeah. while she's literally living in her ivory tower on Coruscant. Saw's obviously coming from a def- very different place as is Cinta. Exactly. So. I do think at this point it's actually worth reading out the databank description for Cinta. Um, could you read out what I've highlighted, please, Kirsty? Um, deceptively young and small in stature, Cinta Kaz is a cold, steely rebel warrior who effectively uses the overconfidence of her enemies to formulate her attacks. Easily overlooked, Cinder puts the cause first, sneaking into position, aiming to inflict maximum damage to the Empire. Yes, I think that's quite interesting because I think that says that her approach is not just based on revenge. I do think that's part of it, you know, because we're clearly meant to get the impression, you know, that she's been traumatised by the murder of her family, right? Anyone would be traumatised by that. Um, But I think if it is revealed that she killed those hostages... I think part of the reasoning behind that decision would just be the cold, logical reason that they saw my face, they recognise me. If mm. they're left alive, you know, I'm a goner very, very quickly. You know, yeah. and, it also sends yeah. a message to the Empire as to how serious these people are, right? And to yeah. like maybe strike some fear in the average Imperial officer who is just there for the job. Like, oh, is this really what you want to be doing and risking your family's well-being? You know exactly yeah and i do also get the vibe that vel is from a more like privileged or comfortable background than cinta um just a vibe um i don't know future episodes obviously and again i would like to see that whole class differential 
between them brought out more because yeah i i just love conflict in relationships it makes them more interesting <laughs> so, yeah bring on all the conflict please yeah it, i'm curious to see like if when we'll see them reunited how cinter is gonna make her way off there i guess she's in disguise so maybe she can get away with it but yeah exactly will we see these people again in this season now that cassian's kind of separated himself from them yeah i reckon we will um and i feel like cinter even though she's in disguise in the officer's uniform i feel she's still in a very vulnerable position because yeah. you know we don't see any other female officers whatsoever on that planet you know so i think the few like a female officer would stand out under any circumstances right so i'm curious to see how they wing that because I think it's interesting how they made the point during the actual um, heist that Vel and Cinta had to sneak in through an alternative means because obviously they couldn't dress up as like officers, you know, or soldiers. Because yeah, again, it would be like, hang on, there aren't any female soldiers in this platoon, you know, whatever. So yeah, I I liked that attention. I liked the attention to detail. Hmm. Um, I've realised we haven't spoken at all about Nemec, who is a very prominent character, oh. especially in episode six. Talk about your Nemec feelings, Kirsty. Bless him. <laughs> that was the best response. The most appropriate response as well. He I mean, is, the writing yeah. was on the wall, right? It was quite. Uh, this was one of the things where it was like quite obvious that this character was going to die. Sure. Yeah, like he was definitely too good for this world. But I did like how they ultimately handled his death because. It was just in the most like random, senseless way possible, you know, yeah, where they got out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was like literally being crushed by a shipment of money, you know. It's really, really grim. Um, and yeah, just especially the fact that he still like holds onto consciousness enough to still provide the navigation. Like he's like one of the very few unequivocally heroic characters, <laughs> I think, among the rebels up to this point. Um, which. Yeah, like he definitely has that whole air of too good for this world, basically. Yeah, I'm quite sad about that. No, he was really good. Um, yeah, it was a really good performance by Alex Lawfer. And I do find it interesting that he insisted that his, um, oh God, his manifesto um, had yeah. to be given to Cassian. Because I feel yeah. like that's going to be very important to Cassian's future decisions and character development moving forward. So definitely, again, everything has a purpose, which I really like. Yeah, I mean, Cassian's ready to walk away and call it a day at that point. But I think it has to mean that that manifesto is going to contain something that will continue to inspire him to rejoin the fight. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I'm just really curious what Cassian's going to do now. Because obviously he has his payment, he has his money, but... Is he just gonna like go home to his mum and stuff? Because I feel like that's gonna be a very different world that he's gonna go back to. You know, I don't feel like the Empire will have left it unchanged. You know, after everything that went down there in the first three episodes. So. Oh, it didn't cross yeah. my mind that he'd feel safe going back there, but maybe he will, and that's how things kind of loop around. Because was it in episode four or five where you see that Officer Blevin, like on? that world and saying oh yeah you can take over that building and they're they're kind of furthering their colonizing of that planet um which i guess does indicate that eventually we'll be going back there and seeing more of that yeah taking effect i think we will so for like i don't know his mother and bix there's too much time and attention given to them for them to just never show up again you know there's too much left unresolved so i feel like Maybe we are going to see them again 
Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because it's like, yeah, they're doing such a great job of all these characters, but the the story keeps moving forward. And it's yeah. like, oh, maybe that's it for the... Or at least, I don't know, in this story. Um, yeah, I might I be it, being overly... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I might be being overly optimistic about how much they can fit into the show, for sure. Because, yeah, they're juggling a lot of characters. I'm honestly amazed by how well they're keeping all these like storylines and characters going. Because, yeah, it's pretty... Like incredible stuff, you know, the complexity of the stories and how they all interconnect and everything. Yeah, was it episode five where I felt like it was jumping? A, well, I'm mixing them all up in my head at this point. <laughs> it's fine, don't worry. One of the episodes, it just felt like they were jumping around a lot, but the story itself felt quite tightly focused um, and like everything was leading towards somewhere specific with like Cyril and his mum. And Mon Mothma and her family. Yeah. And then, of course, like, jumping back to Aldani. Um, so they are managing to keep all of these balls in the air and, like, still make every character feel very real and grounded. And it's amazing, honestly, how I feel so invested in it all. Yeah. No, it's really well done. Like, and I think in episode six especially, you know, it was really like impressive how the vast majority of the episode is just on Altani with the rebel cell right and a bit of the imperials you know so you have context for them mm. but at the very end you know you get flashes of the different characters like you see Mon Mothma in the senate and yeah. then you see the um ISB um and then you see um Lufen finding out about this attack essentially all of them are finding out about the heist and the fact that the rebels have stolen all this money and you see all their disparate reactions to it in the context yeah. in which they're finding that out and i was like oh this is so good so it makes me so <laughs> desperate to see the next one you know and be like yeah. oh god the fallout of this is going to be just as exciting as actually watching it play out right so yeah yeah because it makes you nervous to see how the empire is going to retaliate yeah Exactly. Shukin is already very, very clear that that they are going to retaliate. So yeah, it definitely adds to the fear factor. Um, And yeah, and I just thought it was so interesting to see the Senate at this point in history. Because, you know, before obviously Mon figures out what's happening, like, it's um, sad just how empty it is, you know, by how few people even showed up. You know, a lot of those pods, there's no one in them you know, in the Senate. and she's must making... feel a bit of a farce at this point. <laughs> exactly. Like that sense of democracy. Yeah, exactly. It's like a pantomime almost. And like Mon's there trying to make this impassioned speech about this like group of people who are like being downtrodden and stuff. And it's like, no one cares. Literally no one cares. And yeah, I think that is just a great like encapsulation of like how horrible her situation is at that point and how ineffectual she must feel in her public facing role. You know, so it's like no wonder she feels the need to align herself with these rebels because that's where everything's happening. You know, that's where all the action is. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think one of the main recurring characters um, who we do not see at all in this episode is Cyril, um, who has obviously <laughs> left a big impression elsewhere. Um, he obviously is in episodes four and five. Um, and yet in episode five, we actually finally see him interact with his mum for the first time. So yeah, how did you feel about that relationship between those characters, Kirsty, and how that was portrayed? They were great scenes, fantastic performances, very funny and sad at the same time. <laughs> exactly. And also, again, I know I said this last time, but I just found it relatable. And to be clear, my mum is nothing like Cyril's mum. <laughs> oh my God, nothing like it. But 
again, like, I think even if you don't have that type of relationship with your parent, you know, it sort of plays into, like, all your fears about the worst case scenario for your relationship with a parent, where they're just so, like, domineering and, you know, trying to, like, puppeteer every aspect of your life, you know, and how, like, small and pathetic that makes you feel, you know, so... Yeah, I just felt they did a really good job at bringing that down to earth, you know, and making that feel like really raw and real in ways that, yeah, Star Wars just typically doesn't do. Yeah, I think you said before as well, like Cyril obviously is of a different social class to a lot of his, well, former peers Yeah, and within that company. And this kind of like illustrates it further in that he has a home to go to. And however dysfunctional that relationship is, his mum has certain expectations for where his career was going to go. And she's adamant about like pursuing the connections that they have to ensure that there is something else for him to do now. Yes. And obviously there are a lot of Star Wars characters who do not have that kind of opportunity. For sure. Exactly. He has like a safety net, essentially, which... Yeah, I think is unusual for point of view characters in Star Wars. Yeah, so he's like resentful and embarrassed, but like to even have that is a huge privilege. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have any theories about who Uncle Harlow may be, Kirsty? No, I just assumed it was someone kind of in that Imperial uh, framework that we've been seeing with uh, what's the name of that female character? Oh, um, um, oh God, Deirdre. Yeah, I just figured it'd be someone kind of in that. The ISB, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, he seems so resistant to, you know, that help, you know, that he really wants this to be a last resort. You know, he doesn't want to go there. Because I think in my head, I'd envisaged him as the sort of person who is just desperate to work for the Empire at all costs. But I guess in a way it makes sense, because even if he is, perhaps the idea is that he really just wanted to do it off his own back. You know, that he didn't want to have to rely on favours, you know, from a relative who was already involved with the Empire. He just wanted to prove himself independently. Yeah, because it probably comes from years of his mum being like, well, we can get you a job through so-and-so. And he's like, no, I want to succeed on my own. But that hasn't panned out. Yeah. Exactly. So he might not have a choice at this point. Exactly. And did you notice that he had um, clone trooper figurines in his bedroom, Kirsty? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> We're nerds. <laughs> That's why we have like a podcast. Luke Skywalker with his airplane. <laughs> it's the equivalent. Yeah, I always feel like, what do they even represent at this point, the clones? You know, I know. It's so confusing like to me. <laughs> Just on so many levels, like in-universe, out-of-universe. So it's kind of like, well, they worked alongside the Jedi, but they were actually part of the evil plan instituted by Palpatine through various proxies. And they ultimately, they the Republic. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to stop. Yeah, they're loyal to the Republic. And yeah, we know what happens to that in the end. So... Yeah, I've got no idea what Cyril thinks when he looks at those things, basically. I'm sure he thinks that they're cool, first and foremost. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know where this is going. I yeah, And yeah, again, to backtrack a little, in episode five, we actually meet Mon Mothma's daughter for the first time, who I think I spoiled the existence of in our first podcast. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, so apologies for doing that. So it probably would have uh, been I was fun. just thinking ahead to like the fact that there's obviously no trace of her 
in like Rogue One and the original trilogy, I was like, oh God, what happens to my mother's family? Yeah. But she could just as easily be off somewhere else and they're just kind of separated. I don't know. Exactly. Would you like to we read, um, the character is called Leda, Mon's daughter. Would you like to read um, her databank description, Kirsty? Okay. At 13, Leda Mothma is already nursing a rebellious streak. The daughter of Senator Mon Mothma and her husband, Perrin Thurfer, Leda spends much of her time on Coruscant, but re- resents her mother's focus on her political career. Instead, Leda prefers the simplicity of Chandrillan customs, a surprise to her mother, who regards many of the traditions as outdated in modern times. That stuff about Chandrillan customs is really interesting to me, because there hasn't really been any overt hint of that at all so far. Yeah, where does that come from? Yeah, I feel like it must be based on something from a future episode. Because okay. I actually got this stuff from the databank before episode six came out, and it already had the part about Tamarin having been an ex stormtrooper, and I'm pretty sure that was only acknowledged in episode six. So I do think there's perhaps light spoilery content in the databank, okay. essentially, just to warn people. Um, but yeah, I love that um, the fact that you know. Out of all the things that she'd be rebelling through as a teenager, she's rebelling by going back to like traditional Chandrillan customs. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like some kids, they're like punks, some kids, they like go out and like tear up the town. But no, Leda is there of her traditional Chandrillan customs. And that's how she's rebelling against her mum. So, yeah, uh, I find that. Again, we've had very little of this character so far, right? And all we basically know to this point is that there's a fractious relationship between her and her mother. And she seems to get on better of her father, you know, who seems to be more indulgent. So yeah, that's the foundation. Yeah. And I'm curious to see where they go with it next. Well, that's what I found surprising about reading this, because Perrin seems all about the Coruscant glamour and schmoozing with people. Yeah. But she's kind of rejecting that. And seeing that as like a rebuke of her mum's career choices, but I don't know. Yeah, I have to see where that goes. Me- but I also know that you know they choose to have the capital of the New Republic as Shangela in the future. So I don't know if that would be kind of down to Mama tra- choosing to reconnect with her roots as a tribute to her daughter, or yeah, I don't know what would be a factor there. No, I'm very, very curious to see what happens to this daughter. So again, I do find it somewhat ominous that she's never mm. mentioned or acknowledged anywhere else. No, it's a bit worrying, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, she's just being a regular 13-year-old who's annoyed with her parents. So far, it's not like there's anything. Exactly, yeah. So she isn't, like, portrayed unsympathetically, you know. I think she's portrayed, like, quite well um, for a teenager, you know, because... There's lots of like nasty, unfair stereotypes towards teenagers and films and TV, right? They're often portrayed just as terrible brats. And I don't think she comes across that way. No, there's a humanity to it. And, you you know, obviously she's very privileged, but like it's understandable like where she feels like she's probably in her mum's way, even though Mon is like, no, I actually wanted to do this. Like I've set out my day that way. And she like doesn't believe her. It's really quite sad, isn't it? Yeah. No, it is, because, again, there's this real barrier between them, because obviously Mon has all this stuff going on with the Rebellion, which for obvious reasons she can't be open about with her daughter. And, you know, I think part of the story will be that Leda senses that, but Mon, you know, she just can't, like, be open, you know, with her child. 
Um, and yeah, she's going to ultimately face a crunch point, you know, over what to do in relation to that, whether Leda can be trusted or not. They might not get that far with it, you know, because again, that's speculation on my part, but I feel like that's a route they could go, you know, in terms of like Leda might even accidentally find something, you know, where she's like, Mm. hang on, what's mum up to here? (laughs) You know, so I think that could be really, really interesting, especially as they've already portrayed her as you know having certain sympathies towards her dad who would definitely not be sympathetic towards the rebellion so yeah i i just think there's so much tension in store and i love it i'm slightly nervous it's great love it i really hope that the next episode focuses on their family a bit more same i really hope that um there was an interview with tony gilroy um where he said that the next episode episode seven is going to be a bit like a bottle episode so something a bit unique in its own right and then there's cool. going to be another arc and then a two episode finale. So I'm really hoping for like lots of cool Coruscant action, you know. So I feel like it's a natural time to have a bit of a break from the Rebels. Um, but yeah, we will find out in due course. And yeah, we get very little of Lufen, obviously, in this episode. Um, he's just in his antique shop being a fun, lovely, pleasant guy. I love his assistant. Oh, his assistant is so good. Yeah, she's called Claire. Um, and yeah again it's a small part so far but again it's just a really nice performance I feel the actors bringing through a lot of like dimension and conviction she's very matter of fact (laughs) she's like well it's done now (laughs) stop your fretting Um, yeah Kirsty could you actually read out Claire's entry in the databank the concierge at Lufen Rail's Galactic Antiquities and Objects of Interest Gallery Claire Markey is a master of disguise at the shop, Claire works out front, assisting customers and restoring precious artefacts. But when called upon, she's the perfect emissary, messenger and enforcer for Lupin's spy operation, with a highly attenuated in- intuition and unflinching commitment to the rebel cause. But yeah, no, again, that's another really interesting description for the databank. So I feel like that is clearly touching upon some stuff that Claire is going to do that we just haven't seen yet. Um, because again, it's very obvious that she knows what's going on. You know, she knows it's all a front, but we haven't seen her do anything other really than like work at the shop and assist Lufen in that capacity. So I'm really excited to see her leave that shop and do something else because yeah, it's a really compelling character so far. So I want to see more of her. Yeah. I just really liked seeing that discussion between them where Lufen was obviously like very worried about how things would go. Yeah. Um, and it shows that he does have someone that he can talk to about these things. It's not just him by himself. Exactly. Like obviously, we knew that from the earlier episode where she's kind of like distracting the driver. She's obviously in on it to an extent, but this kind of showed that she was like fully informed and understood the magnitude of what they were doing and was able to kind of talk him down from that panic. Exactly. Yeah, she's clearly completely in on in on what's going on. Um, and yeah, like. Again, I just love, you know, what a whole leap of faith this whole like, rebellion thing is for everyone. Because it feels like no one truly knows any- anyone else, right? You know, there's so much, mm. there's so many leaps of faith going on, you know. And that was what most of episodes four and five were about. You know, the distrust between all these people. And, you know, th- how toxic that made things between them. You know, like what an unpleasant environment it was, you know, on Altani especially. Um, and you know Lufen is acutely aware of that which yeah feeds into why he he's so stressed about everything mm. <laughs> and 
yeah, I don't think he really truly believes it will be pulled off, to be honest, until he hears that news. And that's why it's just such a tremendous relief for him. And yeah, that was just such a fabulous way to end the episode, just on that like laughter. It was just, ah, just perfect. Stellan Skarsgård is just having the best time with this role. And I love it. <laughs> that was really lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like how that kind of uncertainty and mistrust even like affects you as an audience member. You're trying to figure out these characters and... Um... You know, I saw some people saying when Cassian shoots Skeen, they were like, well, what if it was just a test? <laughs> it was just like premature. It's like, I, I do think him killing him like that so quickly was kind of an overreaction. But like, I think that's part of the point. Yeah. Right. That Cassian is becoming slowly desensitized to that. Um, and that's how he'll become such an effective member of the rebellion because he does shoot first and ask questions yeah. later. And I do also think it's also about part of how he has these instincts you know and he relies mm. so heavily on them and obviously you know it might not always be the most logical choice but I think there's always like good reasoning behind it so I think in that situation you know if he'd been like oh actually no I don't want to do that actually I quite like the rebels you know Skeen I think he would have had no qualms about killing Cassian there and then you know because yeah. Cassian knew too much so it was either Cassian killed Skeen or vice versa. You know, that was that was the only yeah. choice. On top of that as well, I feel like he was so unsure of where he stood and w whether the rebellion actually mattered to him. But hearing Skeen talk like that made him realise that it does matter to him. Yeah, exactly. And I think that also justifies all those conversations we had between Cassian and Nemec. You know, where Nemec is really like harping on about like his philosophies about the conflict you know the evils of the empire and stuff and at the time Cassian seems like he's not really taking it in you know he's a bit like yeah 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 kid whatever but I think by that point like you say is slowly being absorbed by him you know and the mm -hmm. fact that you know he's seen that they could succeed something you know he they did pull this off together obviously imperfectly and people died but they were able to achieve something you know through their collected efforts I think all that coalesces for him to make him realise that, yeah, there is actually something going on here that's more important than I might have been willing to acknowledge or recognise previously. Um, and yeah, it's just such great de character development for Cassian. So it's so like gradual and believable. You know, there's not going to be like one single moment, you know, that's like a pivot for him in terms mm. of just going from like mercenary to true believer. But they're really like laying the groundwork for how he could change his belief system to such a huge extent and yeah it's just really really great character writing so i'm very impressed it is i really enjoy diego's performance as well i think it's really quite subtle and quiet in time in in places and then obviously he'll have these moments where he really does choose to stand his ground and get quite impassioned yeah but i've seen a little i, I don't know how widespread this is admittedly you know when you see like a thread on twitter it's like how many people are actually like seeing it this way or is this more of like um an outlandish opinion but i've seen some criticism that he feels like miscast and i'm just like i do not feel that way at all that's bonkers to me i know i know right <laughs> it's just like what the whole reason this show exists is because diego luna said sure i'll come back and do this show for you well yeah but um, i think they said like i even felt this way with rogue one yeah. which is a different kettle of fish in my opinion because that was a very different kind of story yeah. and he obviously wasn't the main character he was part of the ensemble and i was thinking to be honest what a gift this show is you know for diego luna as an actor 
because again like I don't mean to sound like I'm dissing Rogue One I like Rogue One but again the character that Diego plays in that is very like one note kind of you know because Cassian at that point he's already sort of like his finished self you know he is like a yeah, dedicated you have a rebel sense of the history he's very yeah. like like yeah he knows what he's doing he's highly competent you know and that's kind of it you know he's just there to serve a function in the story whereas here we're actually getting a sense of where he comes from and his progress you know and how he got to that point in Rogue One which yeah in terms of like fantasy and science fiction it's unusual for actors to get to play a part with that much depth and thought behind it so yeah I'm really really happy that for Diego's sake it turned out that Cassian's actually a really interesting character with a great history so yeah yeah he obviously fulfills a different purpose entirely in Rogue One like he's there to wage in on her journey right and he's a fully formed rebel as you say so exactly ultra competent and to be fair I think Cassian's already very competent and very effective at this point as well but you know he just doesn't have the conviction underlying that effectiveness you know he's effectiveness he's effective at this point because he wants to be paid and he needs to reach that turning point where you know he works hard and he uses all his skills for I guess the right reasons you know and mm-hmm. I think that's coming I think that's the point that we're going to reach by the end of the season um, yeah, so we have a lot more really that we could say because I think it's safe to say that we both really love this show, but we have places to be and things to do, so we better wrap it up. So yeah, do you have any final thoughts, Kirsty, before we end here? Um, nothing fully formed, <laughs> but just like to reiterate, I really enjoyed this arc. Yeah. Um. Oh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Gorn, that you know Imperial oh, double agent. Oh, he was great. Gorn was so good. Um, yeah, and yeah. I loved that line he had to the commanding officer about how you know, like the commanding officer is like, you'll get the death penalty for this or something, and he's like, I deserve far worse for seven years under you or something. Yeah, and like just that line alone, you know, it conveys so much history and like rich character dedication stuff. yeah, yeah. I and mean, just the conviction behind it i was honestly sad that he like just got shot and dispensed with so know. quickly i was like no yeah <laughs> come back i was sad about him and taramin and uh, obviously nemec but like it was just like so many of them exactly like, no. and i think the thing is nemec got so much more ceremony than the others you know the others yeah. it was just like blinking you'll miss them deaths you know i saw mm. some people being like what that character's dead um <laughs> yeah which shows how like frantic the pace was but again i did like that so it really gave you a sense of immersion you know in terms of capturing the panic of what it would be like to be in that sort of high high risk dangerous situation you know where you obviously don't have time to pause and mourn people you know and like respect the dead and stuff so yeah i felt it was about evoking that yeah and you have this sense that they are in it with their eyes open yeah like they fully know the risks but they also know that their cause is worth it exactly um yeah just great performances all round. great effects just look so good yeah no, the eye was um, stunning. I'm not sure yeah. if we actually spoke about that in the podcast. I know we spoke about that before, but it was just such a stunningly beautiful visualization of, you know, a celestial phenomenon. And yeah. yeah, just so much like imagination and creativity went into that and how it was used to pace the episode and give you a sense of the time passing. And yeah, just really, really wonderful stuff. So yeah, yeah. A plus. Really cool to see them taking something from our world, like the Northern Lights and then like, you know, 
is showing us a people, you know, an indigenous culture who built their way of life and their beliefs around this, you know, naturally occurring thing. And then like having these Imperials kind of commenting on it and kind of mocking it and using it, like trying to twist it to their own advantage and stuff. Lots of interesting stuff going on there. Yeah, that was really beautiful. Um, but yeah, I'm really sorry um, because there's so much more we could say about these three episodes because yeah, just loads of great stuff happened. But we do need to wrap it up now. So I'm Rachel and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye. Bye.